Hey, good morning, church. How we doing? All right. If I haven't met you, my name's Seth. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, super pumped to be with you today. Um, if you haven't heard, the Mudrizo crew is on a beach vacation, and I'm super jealous that I'm here and they're there. Um, but the takeaway for us, you know, if anything comes up this week, if you've got any ministry needs, they're going to be a little difficult to reach, so feel free to, to reach out to me or your community group leader, and we'd be more than happy uh, to help you. They're going to be back next Sunday, and I uh, hope they're really enjoying their vacation. Can't wait to hear all about it. Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Ephesians for the past several weeks, a couple of months, and uh, we've kind of hit the climax of the book in chapter 4. So chapters 1 through 3, Paul's telling the church all about the amazing things Christ has done, who we are in Christ, um, that he's called us out of our sin that he's made us one body, that the, the gospel has been given to not only the Jews, but the Gentiles, and so he builds all that up in chapters one through three. And then chapter four, verse one, is like the climax of the whole book. And Paul's saying, I therefore, in light of everything that's happened in chapters one through three, call you to live in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called, with which you've been called. And so chapters four through six, Paul is laying out, okay, now how do we go and do that? How do we live out the life that Christ has purchased for us. And so last week, uh, Nick got the first little chunk of chapter four, and the first thing Paul calls us to is unity. And so Nick talked all about how, um, as a church, we're one unified body. And then as we move through chapter four, Paul goes on to say, even though we're one unified body, we've all been given a variety of gifts and a variety of roles and different jobs to do in that body. And then he moves on farther and talks about how not only has Jesus given us individually a gift and a role, but he's given us corporate gifts through church leaders, and he continues to describe what those gifts are for, and it's to equip us for the work of ministry, to make us mature, to build us up so that we can go and live worthy of that calling. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today we've got the second little chunk of chapter four. We're going to be talking about the individual gifts that Christ has given to us, and um, if you're taking notes, if you like to keep track, we're going to have three main themes as we move through today. And one of the big things that Paul highlights is the ascension of Christ. And so we're going to talk about why is that so important and how does it form the foundation for the gifts that he's given us. And then we're going to talk about the gifts themselves and how they're expressed in the church and kind of how that works itself in our lives. And then finally, we're going to talk about how we should respond. So you guys ready to go? It's going to be wild. Let's go. All right, so we'll read our text, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. We're in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 11. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and now he's referring back to Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And now Paul takes this parenthesis to kind of interpret that. And he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And that's key, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this body and thank you for this time that we have to come together. I ask that you would do a work in our hearts today and that you would take us beyond just knowing information about you and that you would move us into personal relationship and friendship with you. 
Would you help us, God, to move what we know in our head into our heart? And would you help us to move out of just default unbelief, functional unbelief into faith and the fullness of what you died to give us? We pray for work of your spirit today. We pray that everything would point to you and honor you and that you would help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So point number one, we're talking about the ascension. And I got excited about this during sermon prep. It's just something inside of me was like, man, this is really important. And if you look at our text, like half the text, Paul is not even talking about the gifts. He's talking about Christ's ascension. And so what is it? Why is it so important? Why does Paul spend so much time talking about it? And when we think about this, we kind of flash back to the Gospels, right? We flash back to, you know, Matthew or the beginning of Acts and the disciples go out with Jesus and he's talking to them and then all of a sudden he just kind of floats away and they're kind of looking there like, what? And that's our conception of what the ascension is. But it's more than that. Um, Christ's ascension is his enthronement as the ruler of all the universe. It's him sitting down at the right hand of God, receiving all power and all authority and being crowned as king. Psalm 110 says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's the ascension. And it's foundational to our calling and our gifting as believers. And we're going to show you why in just a second. So this first point, we got a lot of Bible. We're going to kind of flash through some text. I promise we're going somewhere. We're going to bring it all together at the end. So just kind of hang with me. But I want you to see, I think it's really important to understand how foundational this is to the pouring out of the Spirit and the gifts that we've been giving. So why does Paul make this connection from gifts to ascension? And the shorter answer is because Jesus did. Um, His ascension had to come before the gifts were poured out. If we look at John chapter 7, 38 through 40, this is what Jesus said. And then John goes on to interpret. Check this out. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, and this is the important part, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not yet ascended. So the ascension is foundational. And then later in John, chapter 16, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples He knows that he's about to be dead in less than 24 hours, and he's having this shepherding moment with them over a meal, and he's kind of explaining things, he's preparing them, and he says something interesting. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so we can see that Jesus had to ascend, he had to leave in order to pour out the Spirit. And Jesus, the kind of the implication of what he's saying here is, is that it's better for Jesus to be present with you spiritually, by his spirit, in your heart, than if he were physically present with you in this room right now. And we always think, man, if Jesus was just here, I would ask him, I would see him, I would touch him. But he tells us, it's better for me to go and give you the spirit than if I was to stay here with you physically. It's crazy. Um, so we see that it's necessary But what happened? We talked about, you know, in the Gospels, we see the disciples, they go to Bethany with Jesus and he floats away. But the Bible kind of, it lays out this scene for us from two different perspectives, okay? So we get it from the disciples looking up and then we actually go to the Old Testament to see the spiritual reality of Christ ascending. And so I kind of want you to get this picture in your mind. 
We've said it a couple times. The disciples are there. Jesus gives them some instructions, and then he goes into the sky, and a cloud takes them out of the disciples' sight. And then we're immediately going to flash to Daniel chapter 7 to get the other side of what's happening here. So remember, a cloud takes them out of their sight. And now in Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14, this is what Daniel sees. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there's the cloud, there came one like a son of man, which is Jesus' favorite term to refer to himself in the Gospels. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That is the spiritual reality of the ascension. Christ died. He came back to life. He was with his disciples for 40 days. He ascends, and then 10 days later at Pentecost, he pours out his spirit on the church. And so Paul keys in on this reality in our text, and he, he's... He sees that it's foundational and he spends a lot of our text discussing it and immediately connects it to the outpouring of the gifts. So let's take a look at our text again. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And then he interprets in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth, it's his incarnation, his death, his burial, resurrection. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, and this is key, that he might fill all things. So Paul interprets this for us, and he kind of clues us in that Jesus can't ascend without first descending. I mean, he's already in heaven. He holds the universe together with the word of his power. He made everything. How can he ascend? Well, he has to descend first, and that's just what he did. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. He came to a world that he created, he died for us, he descended. And then at the end of that, he ascends, right? He descended to purchase our salvation and also the gifts, the indwelling of the Spirit. And then he ascends, is glorified and enthroned. And the the underlying question is, for what purpose? And Paul gives it to us in the text. He says, so that he might fill all things. So what does that mean? How can he fill, how does he not already fill all things? He made everything. And to fill all things, that means to extend his rule through every crevice and crack of the universe. From heaven to hell, everything in between, Jesus is going to rule. And he's going to extend that authority everywhere. But it begs the question, like, hasn't that already happened? I mean, he's God. He's in heaven. He's sitting on the throne. Why, why are we still seeing this progressive uh, filling of all things? And it's the already but not yet nature of the kingdom, right? Like we, we know the final victories come. We know that he's won. We know that Jesus has all authority and yet we still see things on earth that are not in full subjection to him. And so there's still work to be done. So how does he accomplish this work? And, and this is the crazy part. How does Christ fill all things? He does it through you guys. He does it through us, the church. If that sounds crazy, or if you don't believe me, just take a look at Acts chapter 2, like the story of Pentecost. 
Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. He tells them like 20 times, and they're not getting it. He's like, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you the Spirit. And he goes, he's enthroned, and it's not like he just pulls out his scepter and smacks the ground and said, I'm here, I'm going to extend my rule. What does he do? Gently, humbly, he pours out his Spirit on the church. Peter gets a dose, he gets all fired up, he goes and starts preaching, and like 3,000 people get saved. And it came through the church through the indwelling spirit, through Christ's direction, but he used the church to advance his kingdom. Take a look at Ephesians 1.22. And I know we've we got a lot of Bible here, but we're going somewhere. Just to prove it to you. He says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, that's us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Did you catch that? We're the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're his body. And what does the body do? Well, the head directs the body. That's Jesus. And then the body goes and does what the head tells it to do. Like my brain tells my fingers, go do stuff. And they do it. And that's our job. He is the head. We are the body. And through us, he fills all things. Um, if you don't know me, I've been in the army for a while. I'm just military mind, so I like military illustrations. But we're going to go back to Rome for this one. So hopefully we can bring everybody on board. Um, the best way I can think, of, think to describe this is using the example of the Roman army, okay? So just go with me on this. Let's say Caesar ascends to the throne, and he's enthroned, and he's got all dominion, power, authority, and rule in the Roman kingdom, or the Roman empire. And his objective is to extend that rule as far as he can. So how does he do that? It's not like he goes personally to the, the frontier and like pushes the frontier and expands his kingdom. No, he uses his army. And so some Roman guy goes to the recruiter, he joins the Roman army, he's like, hey, I want to serve, and he, he buys in, he's in the kingdom, and what does Caesar do? Caesar gives him a bunch of gifts, he gives him everything he needs. He gives him a tunic, gives him a sword and a shield, and says, hey man, you're in the infantry. And then another guy comes along, and Caesar's like, well, you get a bow and arrow, you're going to be an archer. Another guy comes, and he's like, you get a, you know, a horse and a spear, and you're in the cavalry. And then maybe another guy comes and he's like, hey, you're going to get the transverse crest of an officer. You're going to go be a centurion. You're going to lead. You're going to be entrusted with a unit. And so you have all of these guys with all these different gifts, all these different roles, and they come together in one body, the army. And so the infantry guys do infantry things. The archers do archer things. The cavalry does horse things. The officers do officer things and direct it all. And they work together as one unified body and advance Caesar's kingdom. That's the exact same thing that we do. The only difference is our king is a higher king. His rule goes farther. We have better gifts, and he's got a better direction for where we're going. But that's how it all comes together. So, brings us to the gifts. He says, each one of us has received one. So let's talk about the gifts. That's our second topic for today. Um, I'm going to go into a little detail here. Christ descended to purchase your salvation, but he also purchased the infilling of the Spirit, and he purchased your gift. He ascended, he's enthroned, he fills all things, and he pours these things out on his church so that we can go and accomplish the commission that he's given us. And it's not like certain people get a gift. Everybody gets one. And your gift is not just that you know somebody else who has a gift. Like, you, you get a gift, 
Look at the text. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So who decides what we get? Jesus does. Who decides how much we get? Jesus does. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So we've been emphasizing the gifts for a while. If you've been here at the transit for any length of time, you know this. But just to kind of recap, when we say spiritual gifts, we're talking about things that are mentioned all throughout the New Testament. Things like prophecy, healing, tongues. We're also talking about things like administration, encouragement, hospitality, generosity, teaching. Uh, There's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of of calling. And we've talked about these in depth. So we're not going to go into the specifics of each gift today. If you're interested in that, I'd encourage you to go back and check out our Acts sermon series from about a year ago. Or in January, we did about six weeks on hearing the voice of God. That was really good. I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, But the point is, you know, we believe that all of the gifts continue today. All the gifts of the Spirit are for the church today. That's, that's the position we hold here at the transit. And they're available to each one of us. And I think that most of us, I mean, we might struggle with some of the gifts, but generally we can get on board with that. And you could probably go to a Bible study and lay out like this great logical argument from the Scriptures and talk about according to this and this and this. This is true and build your case. But despite being able to do that with our head, we struggle to believe that with our heart. And our default functional belief is basically like either this isn't real or it's not real for me. And so as I was prepping this week, I kind of felt burdened by that thought. And that's where I want to focus our time today. So why, why do we struggle with this feeling of knowing it in our head but just not living like it's true? And I think it comes down to a, a few key points and get the wisdom of Caleb on this one. One of the first is um, we feel unworthy. We compare ourselves to others. We feel like we don't measure up. And the, the root of that is everything in our life is earned. It's merit-based. You go to work, you earn a promotion. You earn a paycheck. You earn respect. And so we carry this ethic with us that I am only as good as my performance, and so I have to perform in order to earn something. And then we look at all the other people around us, and we're like, man, they're so spiritual. We see the good in others, because all we can see is their shell, their outside. And then we see all the messed up stuff in us, and we're like, well, they're up here, and I'm down here, so I don't deserve it. And so we tap out. I think another reason we struggle this is we expect a work of the Spirit to feel extraordinary. And I'll just use preaching as an example. Like preparing for preaching, you have this expectation that it's going to feel amazing and the heavens are going to open and it's going to be so cool. And honestly, it feels pretty ordinary. You look at a text, you read, you study, you pray, the Spirit empowers, and then you preach it. And there's not always a lot of feeling with that. But just because there's no feeling doesn't mean it's not a work of the Spirit. Um, the other thing is I think we have too low a view of the Spirit's work and role in our lives. He's kind of like my appendix. I know it's in there. I know I got one. No idea what it does. It's probably good for me, probably some benefit, but in my day-to-day life, I really don't know what it's doing. That's, if we're honest, that's how most of us approach the Holy Spirit. We've been told He's in there. We believe it because it's biblical, No idea what he's doing. 
Maybe he gives me a little bit of peace. Maybe he might prompt me to pray or like make a verse of scripture, jump off the page. But in my day-to-day, I'm really just relying on myself and my own ability, not really thinking about the Spirit. And just a quick aside, you know, why do we believe that the Spirit could supernaturally put a verse in your mind, prompt you to go pray for somebody, could illuminate Scripture to you, could make your prayers effective, and then struggle to believe that He could also heal somebody or maybe give you a word for somebody or give you some knowledge that you couldn't otherwise have to go and minister for His kingdom? It's all supernatural. Like, we have an inherently supernatural faith. It's not a logical faith. It's not a cultural faith. It's a supernatural faith. Um, I think the biggest one here is we kind of believe this is true for everybody else, but it's not true for us. So I'll give you an example. Now I'll use myself as an illustration just so I can beat up on me today. Um, sermon prepping this week. I'm sitting down, I'm struggling through the text, and all I can think about is like, man, if Nick or Saju or Jake were preaching this, like I trust that God would give them a word, he'd put it all together, the Holy Spirit would give it to them. But then when I sit down and I pray and I do the same thing, struggle to expect that God's going to do that for me. Why? Why are we like that? Why do we look at other people and be like, if somebody comes and asks you to pray for him and you're thinking, mm, man, maybe you should go to this guy because he's, he's better, you don't want me to pray for you. Why is that? Why do we believe that? To continue the illustration, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm the lay elder here. And Michelle made me swear not to say this, but I think it's valuable, so we're going to use it as an illustration. <laughs> I, I was just um, a, you know, brought on board as an elder back in October, so just under a year. And from that point until now, daily struggle with thoughts of, man, you're not spiritual enough. You don't have anything to offer. Like, what are you bringing to the table? How can you lead this church? How can you give a word to anybody? Like, you're not qualified. They got the wrong guy. Like, that's the recurring thought. And I think we would all feel that in our own way. The other thing you should know about me, this is the first sermon I've ever preached. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't say that for, you know, any, like, look at me reason, but it, it's very tempting to come up here and say, Oh, Nick's gone. I'm just the lay elder. This is my first sermon. You guys got the second string today. I'm sorry. Don't expect too much because this is not going to be very good. Um, We all struggle with that thought. Like somebody comes to you, hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can you help me understand this? And we're like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just like on the JV team. I don't really have a gift you don't want me to do that for you. You should go talk to somebody else. And we try to lower expectations. But if, if I gave in to that thought, and if I said that to you guys today, I would be dishonoring what God has chosen to do and what he's trying to do. Um, for some reason, in his sovereignty, he's appointed today that I'm going to be here preaching, preaching on Ephesians 4, 7 through 11 to this body for some reason. Like, he did that. And it's the same with you guys. Like, he's given you a gift. And when, you, when we say, no, I, I don't have a gift. I'm not good enough. My prayers don't work. That's not for me. We're dishonoring what Jesus died to purchase for us. Because he didn't just die to purchase our salvation. 
He died to make the Spirit available to you. And the Spirit comes with gifts. And it's for each one of us. And so when that thought comes, when we feel like um, I'm not worthy, I, I can't do it, this is not for me, that's, that's the enemy coming against us. And we need to take that thought captive. We need to kill it. We need to reframe to what we know is true and we need to stand on it because there are no JV Christians. You know, we know this in our head. Everybody in this room could lay that out, but we don't know it in our heart and we don't live like it's true if we're being honest. And that's why Paul prayed for the church in uh, Ephesians chapter three. Just a few weeks ago, we covered this, but check out this prayer. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and here's the kicker, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's that filling again. It's the third time we've seen it. Why is Paul praying for that? The Ephesians already know this stuff. Paul spent like two years there teaching them. And then Apollos rolled through and he taught them too. And then Paul had communication with their elders and he discipled them. The church knew this stuff. But he's praying for them because they didn't believe it in their heart. They needed strength to believe it. And so do we. It takes a work of, of the Spirit to take this stuff from your head and move it into your heart and reframe the way that you live so that you go and move out as if these things are actually true for you and they're true in your life. And we need strength to walk out of here and to go do that. Because it's, it's difficult to make a decision where you're going to incur some personal risk or you've got some skin in the game based off of this that we know in our head. Um, it's easy to have a logical discussion, but when you actually have to go and act on it, things become a lot more real, and it gets a lot harder. And that's why Paul prayed for the church to have strength. And I, I just want to bring us back to the point that there are no JV Christians. There is no varsity team. There's no JV squad. We're one body. And we've been emphasizing the gifts as a church for a reason. Because historically, this, this is something that's been neglected, and we're kind of weak in this area, and we need, to, we need to learn more. We need to grow here. We need to explore this. And we've been especially emphasizing some of the charismatic gifts because that's honestly been kind of a hole in the swing of the church, and we're trying to work through that. But it's had the unintended consequence, I think, of maybe giving the perception of haves and have-nots or varsity and JV. We look at others with a certain gift or a certain experience and we think, man, they must be like real good with God. Maybe one day if I work really hard and I try really hard and I read my Bible and I do some stuff, I'll like level up a couple levels and I'll put on the black belt and I'll get that thing and then I'll be, I'll, I've made it. Then I'm there. Uh, might not ever come. You know, everybody can hear the voice of God, but not everybody has a gift of prophecy. Not everybody has the gift of healing. Doesn't mean that you're any less valuable to the body. It just means you have a different job to do. Um, you know, I, you, if you've known Nick for about two seconds, you've heard about October 2019, right? <laughs> I don't have an October 2019. I may never have one. Sanctification in my life might look like a long obedience in the same direction. 
just an ordinary, you know, I know where I'm supposed to be going. I'm doing my best to go that way. And it might look pretty slow and boring at times. You know, some people get the microwave, some people get the crockpot. But we're all on the same team, right? Um, and I, I want to emphasize this point because it's important that we talk about the charismatic gifts. And it's important that we understand it and that we employ them in our church. But it's also important that if you don't have that gift, that you don't think that you are a secondary Christian, that you're unimportant, that you don't have a job to do. Because you do. And if you don't believe me, just go read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That's parallel text to what we're talking about today. And Paul just goes on a rant talking about all this stuff. He's talking about the body and how fingers can't say to the ear, well, I don't need you or I don't need you and like chop it off. Because if we all had the same gift or if everybody... If some people had all of the gifts, we wouldn't need the body. And Christ has organized this in a way where we're all reliant on one another. Nobody can do it all. And because we have to all rely on each other and the individual gifts to come together, that's why we're unified. And that's why Nick was talking about unity last week. We're unified in diversity and we need each other to accomplish the mission. And just... Quick parentheses, I found this interesting. We, we tend, myself included, tend to hold like pastors up as like, if anybody's on the varsity squad, it's them. Do you know the only two spiritual gifts listed in the qualifications for a pastor in the Bible? is hospitality and teaching. Hospitality and teaching. Feels pretty ordinary, right? So if these people that we hold up as like the exemplar of what a Christian should be aren't even guaranteed anything but hospitality and teaching, why do we think that we are less than if we don't have another gift? And just to kind of bring this home, the Holy Spirit of God, if you are in Christ, dwells in you. And I just want to say that again to kind of move it down. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And to take it a step farther, it's the same Holy Spirit that Peter got a dose of on Pentecost. It's the same Holy Spirit that sustained Paul through everything he went through. The same Holy Spirit that was with those disciples we read about in the New Testament. It's not like we got something different. It's the same Spirit. And the question is, do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that? Not just do you know it, do you believe it? Um, it doesn't come through your goodness or your effort. When we were talking about, you know, this being my first sermon and the temptation to say all those things... The implicit assumption that underlies that doubt is that God is limited by how good or worthy I feel. Not even how good and worthy I am, but how good and worthy I feel. Because my feeling is driving this unbelief and I'm quenching the spirit through that feeling. And, you know, the Bible just kills this for us in Galatians. Galatians 3.2. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's it. Like none of us would say that we were good enough to earn our salvation. No way in the world we could be good enough to earn that. And yet we think that we can be good enough to earn the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. But if we can't earn our salvation, we can't earn the Spirit. It's all a gift freely given by Christ. And he's given each one of us, each one of you, me, a specific role 
and a specific gifting in his kingdom. And so we're moving into our third point here. We're slowly wrapping up. Um, just to kind of recap where we've been. You know, the, the ascension of Christ, him being enthroned, is the foundation of everything we're talking about. He sits down and he pours out his spirit on the church. He gives us all a gift and then he gives us a mission and he says, go and use that gift for my kingdom. And we've talked through what the gifts are and how we struggle to believe them and how we struggle to apply them in our lives. Um, so the next question is, where do we go from here? Like, what do we do? How do we respond? And the answer is pretty straightforward. We go. We go. A couple different ways we can go. First one is, go and discover what your gift is. I think I'm talking to the majority here, and I'm including myself. We, we're like, okay, I'm on board. I'm with you, but I don't know what my gift is. How am I supposed to do this if I don't know what I've got? Um, I would encourage you not to take an online gift test. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, which Disney princess if I, am I after answering like 20 questions? That's basically what it is. Um, some more helpful questions you could ask yourself. What am I passionate about? Like, what brings me the most joy? What do other Christians see in me and what are they calling out of me? Um, are there any areas where you're currently serving or currently trying to advance the kingdom and they're thriving or you find joy or like some special blessing on that. Um, and then finally, the best question you could ask is, God, you said I got a gift. What is it? Go and ask him. So we can ask some questions, but it also comes with a little bit of elbow grease. Um, you know, if we look at the New Testament, we see that gifts come to the surface when the church is advancing the kingdom or when they're ministering to other believers. Um, to be quite honest, it doesn't take much infilling of the Spirit to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. Like That's talking to myself here because it's so easy to stay in our comfort zone. Or, you know, Even coming to church can be kind of a cultural comfort zone. We get in this bubble. It doesn't take a lot of infilling of the Spirit to stay in the bubble. But when we go... When we share the gospel, when we try to bring people to the Lord, when we minister to the body, those gifts start to bubble up to the surface because now we need that infilling to accomplish that mission. So every time, if you look at the New Testament, every time we see somebody being filled with the Spirit or operating in their gifts, they're doing those two things. They're either preaching the gospel or they're ministering to the church. And so if you're wondering what your gift is, that's a great way to go and start discovering it. Um, the second way we can respond, if you have an idea of what your gift might be, is to go and fan it into flame. Um, Paul tells Timothy not to neglect his gift that was given to him by you know, laying on of hands, but to go and fan it into flame. And so what does that mean? There's, a, there's kind of a difference here, and we can fall into a couple ditches, because it's not go and work hard and earn and be worthy to make your gift effective. There's a difference between seeking and earning. Earning is, I'm going to do some stuff, I'm going to be good, and then God owes me this thing. Seeking is, I want more of the Lord, so I'm going to go and I'm going to look. And the more I look, the more I see, the more I want, the more I look, and it's a cycle. Both take work, but the objective is totally different. One's focused on you, earning, 
One's focused on him, seeking. So go and fan it into flame. And practically what that looks like is you've got to take some risk. We've got to step out and try some stuff. We've got to be willing to look dumb. We've got to be willing to uh, get things wrong. We've got to be willing to step out in faith and maybe, maybe we fall on our face. But know that Jesus is sitting on his throne smiling because you're trying to go. You're trying to use that gift. Um, and so, you know, it looks different for everybody. It doesn't, like going doesn't mean you've got to go knock on everybody's door today and be like, do you know Jesus? If you've got the gift of hospitality, invite somebody over. Build a relationship. If it's generosity, give somebody a gift and then kind of turn it towards Jesus. If it's encouragement, that's a great one. That's really easy to be like, hey, let me tell you why I'm so happy. Um, everybody's going to have a different approach. But just go and try and see what happens. And so the third way we can respond is to, as we've fanned our gifts into flame, is just to go and advance his kingdom. That's what it's all about. First Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's varied. It's different. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so the ultimate purpose of your gift is not an experience. It's not a story. It's not a, I went to this conference and fell down and it was awesome. It's to minister to the church and to advance his kingdom. And the gifts are designed to work in concert. That's what the mature expression of the gifts looks like in the church is when they're all working together, all of the gifts working together to go and accomplish those purposes. And if we don't get this, if we don't get to this point, then we're kind of missing what it's all about. Um, so slowly wrapping up, I'll go ahead and call up the band. We've got just one last point to talk about uh, as the band's coming up. Everything we've talked about today comes with a precondition and an assumption that you know Jesus. And um, you know, the benefit of giving your life to Christ, the benefit of putting your faith in Him is it comes with all of these things. But if there's never been a time in your life where you've stopped and realized, like, I'm a sinner and I'm under God's judgment and if I don't do something, if He doesn't save me, then I have no hope, then the things we've been discussing today don't apply. Um, and so if, if that's you, if that resonates with you, then the way to respond is to go and get Jesus. Um, you know, he, he came, we've talked about him descending and dying for our salvation. And he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins, he was raised to life, and then he ascended up in the heavens also that we can have an opportunity to be reconciled to God. And we do that through believing in him, believing he is who he says he is, believing in his finished work, repenting of our sin, turning from our old way of life and turning to follow Jesus, and then surrendering to Him as Lord. And it's that easy. And so if that's you, if that's something that resonates in your heart or if it sparks a question or uh, just you feel some weight there, we'd love to talk to you about that. There's going to be prayer teams up here in just a moment. Um, I'll be wandering around as well. Feel free to come and talk to us and say, hey, I want to know more about knowing Jesus. We'd love to talk to you. Um, to just kind of to bring it all home and to summarize where we've been. 
Christ descended to purchase our salvation, and he descended to purchase the infilling of the Spirit and to purchase a gift for us. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he sat down with all authority and poured out his Spirit on us so that we could go and advance his kingdom. That's our commission. He calls us to be his ambassadors. He pours out gifts on us. He equips us. He enables us. And he goes with us so that we can, fill, we can help him fill all things. And so our response is to go. Um, so we're going to transition now to a couple of songs. We're not going to do communion today. Um, we're going to sing, and then the prayer team is going to come up at the end. And if, if you need or want prayer or you want to talk to somebody about knowing Jesus, I'd encourage you to, to come on up. Uh, but let me pray, and then we'll worship continue to worship the Lord. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you have a purpose, that you've filled us all with your spirit, that you've given us all a gift, and that you've given us a mission. Would you help us to own that? Would you help us to believe it? Not just know it, but believe it. Help us to walk in personal friendship and relationship with you and to go and advance your kingdom, Lord. We pray that you would come, that you would minister to hearts, that you would help us to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.